Hello, and welcome to the Matron Saint of Podcasts Nightmare. Okay. The Matron Saint of Nightmares podcast, Boozy Edition. I'm pretty sure that's what I said. (laughs) I am the matron. (laughs) And I am her acolyte. (laughs) Um, This is, I think, the fourth one in our spooky season, Halloween season, try to scare the acolyte month. Yes. Um, And we watched The Ring, or Ringu, the original Japanese the ring yes um and part of the reason why we did that was i don't know i I always thought that it was one of the ones that um stuck out in my head as one of the scarier ones from my adolescence yeah we figured we give it a shot Mm -hmm. fun story when the acolyte was a freshman in high school Mm -hmm. he took a liking to a, 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 a lady a young, a young woman. A, a young lass. <laughs> and uh, on her birthday, she wanted to watch The Ring 2. So, I've never seen Ringu or the first Ring American remake, but wanted to impress her. So, watched The Ring 2 with this lady that I fancied. Sure, sure. How'd that go for you? It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and... This is just between me and you. Mm-hmm. But that night, at the age of 14, I slept in my parents' bed. Respect. With them. You know, 14, just not that old. California king size, so plenty of space. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But so scared the pants off you. It scared the pants out of me. Out of me? Yeah. Off of you? Just straight out of just... me. The pants <laughs> right out of my body. Yeah. And I think, like, in comparison to the American version, I have seen the first one. Um, I think this was a much better story. Mm-hmm. I think it 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 tied things together very nicely. Yeah. From what I remember from the second, the sequel for the Americanized versions. Sure. Um, the Americanized versions, the impression that I got from, at least from the second one, was that they went more for like scare value or shock value over substance. Yeah. Because this one definitely built a lot of... It felt like a lot of the ones that we watched from the 70s where there was um, 90% sort of building action and then like 10% of anything that was scary. Absolutely. Because I feel like sometimes some of the American ones... uh, and I think we I'd need to watch more, but some of them feel like they just grind you with scary. Yeah. They um, just try to maintain whether it's a jump a scares yeah. or like with the music or some some level of creepiness, but for sure this one I couldn't have we did watch this at night. I don't think I could have watched this by myself for sure. I don't think I could watch any of this by myself. I don't think I could watch <laughs> Saving Private Ryan by myself. I feel like um, it's a very emotional movie. Um it wasn't that scary. Mm-mm. I think a lot of my friends when I was younger walked away from the Ring remake not being able to, like, look at TVs in the dark. Yeah. When they, when they weren't on, you know, something yeah. like that. So I think they it provided a certain level, at least from what I remember. This is over ten years ago. Totally. I think I actually might have written a movie review for the Ring for my middle school paper, so... That's actually pretty awesome. 
So did not know that yeah. you wrote for your middle school paper. Oh yeah, man. I'm full of surprises. So. Uh, but the yeah, I didn't think it was that scary. I thought that it was a really good story, but pretty slow. Yeah. Um, I, but I do think that they did, you know, they were punching above their weight in the late nineties, I think with some yeah. of the scare stuff. Yeah. And, and I think they, they didn't like rely on like special effects as much. They relied on like, kind of like, um, maintaining this like aura of yeah. like urgency and Absolutely. like fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I also just in general, like, of course we have spoilers because we always do. Yeah. In general, I think. You and I were trying to play the drinking game where we... The Matron Saint drinking game. Yep. The official M-Sun drinking game. Uh, <laughs> take a drink whenever you think mental health is being misrepresented. Yes, absolutely. Um, and in this one, there wasn't tons of that. There was uh, some conversations about um, people going, like, quote-unquote insane or mm. having to be hospitalized. Um, mm. But other than that, it was... You know, they didn't really rely on, like, mental health, like... Like stigmas, I think, to make it scary. Yeah, it was more like supernatural, almost, or yeah. like. I wonder, and then I think it'd be worth for us to explore, you know, outside the podcast. But I think in Asia, there's even in the '90s. I think still now that the whole idea of mental health, it, the way that we understand it in the Western world, is still very different. Yeah, and I don't. I'm not necessarily saying that the alternative is uh, like superstition or whatever, but. I think even in the way that we've, because we've under, we've known about sort of the whole mental health field was created in the Western world, and I think Asia has taken some time to catch up, and so yeah, and has like a different like conceptualization of it too. Because yeah. I think like we talked about in a couple episodes ago, like we talked about the book Crazy Like Us, and how sometimes when we are as, like, the Western world tries to, like, export our idea of, like, what mental right. health treatment is, that it's right. not necessarily a good fit. Right, because, like, I think even in the 70s or the 80s, a lot of the movies were using mental illness as a way to scare 100%. people. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas, I think in Asia, that wasn't even on the radar, right? right? And so it wasn't, it's still more of a superstitious thing than it is slowly moving superstition into mental health, into understanding something else or, or fully understanding mental health. Right. Cause I think that's kind of what a lot of the uh, sort of older movies, especially the ones in the seventies that we've watched, were trying to do that. We're trying to bridge the superstition and mental health sort of like gap. Right. Whereas this one didn't even bother with mental health and it was just sort of superstition. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that's a good point. And I think like, one of the first things that struck me was just, like, the, um, this whole idea around the movie, like, around the video, mm -hmm. right? And how it starts out getting spread in, like, a high school. Mm -hmm. And I think it's this very interesting kind of perspective on how, um, how it's really hard for us not to watch shit like this. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I was thinking about, like, growing up, there was a house, like, down the block from me. And my dad, because he was, um, I, I don't know, he had some sort of knowledge because of his job that I think someone there was convicted of, like, a sexual offense. Mm -hmm. um, he was a detective, and he, I think, prosecuted them. <laughs> and so he just told us and my friends, he was just saying, like, you know, in general, I don't want you going near this, like, part of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. For better or for worse, it was probably just, like, him trying to control and being afraid. And, yeah. Um, but... 
my friends and I kind of ran with that story. Yeah. And pretty soon there was like this whole, like this, I don't know, it was really out of control, but there was this whole myth about how like there was like a, um, a witch living in that house <laughs> that was like eating children. Yeah. And so we used to like, that escalated quickly. It, so quickly. And so we used to play this game where we would, like, try to get close, close enough to the house, right? Mm. And, like, whoever got close enough to that part of the neighborhood would be, like, like the strongest or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which is bizarre and completely ridiculous thing for children to do. And I can only imagine, like, <laughs> what our, like, neighborhood was thinking and, like, how stigmatizing that must be for people. I don't even know if that person still lived there, you know? Right. Um, and... I kept thinking about that watching this movie because I think if I was a high schooler, I would definitely watch this movie that's going to kill me. Yeah. I mean, it would just be really hard not to watch it. It'd be really hard to... Well, in a meta sense, when I was in middle school... Sure. The Grudge, which is probably another movie that we would watch, it was... I don't know if the remake was out by then, but I think the Ring remake. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was one or the other. And, uh... I remember watching the Ring remake at a distance at my own house because my friends really wanted to watch it, right? It was the trend for yeah. everybody to do that. And, um, yeah. And so I think, in, a, in a, again, in a meta sense, like, the, the horror movies, I think to a younger audience, it's sort of it's like, oh, like, who can, who can handle it, you know? Yeah. And like, like, who's the most scared or whatever? And I was just the one, like, pacing in the back and... Not even watching it. Yeah, just trying to get through it. Yeah. There was... I And, like, in just in general, when we talk about urban legends, right? Right. Like, how these things, like, get spread, and how, like, the narrative gets made, and ultimately, like, at the end, which I thought was really um, kind of unique, was that um, she finds out, the main character... Mm-hmm. Finds out that um, in order to survive, you have to make a copy and have somebody else watch it. And perpetuate it, basically. Right. And then the idea was that she asked her father for a favor for her son at the end. So that her son wouldn't die. So that they could make a copy of the tape and, I'm guessing, show it to her father. Right, because he's closer to end of life, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're just desperate, I guess, at that point. But it's interesting. Or it's... It's upsetting, I guess, that she, like, we, she was led down to that point. Yeah, it's disturbing for sure. And I think, like, Mm -hmm. she, she's been through so much and, like, kind of being scared into all that, right? Where you would, I can imagine you would do anything. Totally. To prevent your son, well, yeah, to prevent your son from dying, right? And then it becomes kind of a family affair, I guess. I don't know. It's uncomfortable for sure. It is. I I did like kind of the supernatural parts of it. Mm-hmm. I like that um, the the dad in the movie, yeah. uh, the Yoshi's dad, Yoshi's yeah, yeah. dad, um, had some type of gift. Right. He had some type of like ESP or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of paralleled the mother of the girl who was in featured in the ring video. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I kind of like that because I, I like this idea of how we try to explain unexplainable things mm-hmm. and like how we talk about powers like that. Like I can't tell you how many times like I've had 
clients come into my office and say, you know, I think I have powers or like some sort of like, um, like spiritual gift, um, some sort of intuition that's really powerful. Um, and for me, like, I never want to be like, well, that's a delusion, right? I want to, I want to say like, okay, what does that look like? Like, what's that like for you? Where did you get it? Like what happened? And ultimately I think like, if we dismiss that kind of thing, if we dismiss like this, this narrative people have about their experience or if they have like ESP or whatever, we can like miss out on a lot of what's going on. And I think yeah. people use some supernatural language sometimes, you know, to describe their experience when, you know, maybe they are just very intuitive. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're very sensitive. Maybe they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know a lot of therapists think differently about this. And I think this term has been overused a lot, but like maybe they're empaths, man. Like maybe maybe they're people that are just like synced up to other people. Or but I think that's a big a sensitivity. Theme. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big theme, and even our po- our podcast, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's necessarily something that we're trying to champion, but it is a constant um, topic of discussion where you know um, we don't want to completely write off the supernatural. Oh, I have this great quote by one of my friends recently. I don't know where he got it from. But, uh, and maybe we'll do, do it at some other time, but he, he talks about um, the things that we call supernatural are just the things that we can't understand as natural. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we could write it off as supernatural, right? It, it's, not a, a, it's not a binary. And I think that's what my interest in a lot of some of this stuff is, and especially with mental health and even uh, spirituality, right, is not to write off, not to make it a binary thing, not to say whatever you're feeling is either because of some aspect of mental health and biology, whatever, or else it's something supernatural because I don't necessarily think I fully believe in the supernatural. Right. Right. I, I think there are things that we don't understand that w- exist within the realm of what is quote unquote natural. But that can't, well, obviously, that can't be always explained with the DSM-5. <laughs> I, mean, I would say that that's one extreme, right? But right. even with, through a therapist or something like that, you know? And again, uh... There are so many things we don't know. Right. You know, and, and again, we've mentioned this multiple times on the podcast, but um, the matron, you know, grew up in a fundamentalist Christian environment, um, the acolyte community, yeah. uh, I wouldn't say was f- necessarily fundamentalist. Actually, it was more charismatic, mm-hmm. and so it was hyper spiritual. I think, yeah. Um, and so I was in that environment a lot, and you know, it's, I think I'm still kind of on the fence or on the border of a lot of those, uh, a lot of that stuff. But I've walked away largely from some of the more hyper spiritual stuff, right? Um, but I can't necessarily say that I don't believe in any of it right because I do think that we do have these experiences right whether it's spiritual or supernatural or whatever and and we might not ever be able to explain that for sure not in our lifetimes yeah and so what is the meaning that you're going to take from that I think it's ultimately what is the meaning that you're going to draw from it right because you can have a mental uh sort of a mental health psychology or some explanation coming from psychology or something like that, or even neurology or something like that. But, but at the same time, it comes down to what meaning that you've assigned to it and what that does for you. Absolutely. You know, and so like, I think that's, again, uh, you know, this episode I think is kind of weird because there wasn't a lot of big hitting stuff, but it's almost the conversations around 
Like the themes the that themes. I think that they have. Yeah. yeah. And what you were talking about like really strikes me in working in a hospital because you work in like a, I've worked in interdisciplinary teams, we call them. Mm. <laughs> um, so that they have like, you know, different specialists from like different yeah. areas. And it's funny because sometimes when a, a client comes and is presenting their issues or whatever, or we have like a client or a conference where we're talking about like what the client's struggling with and trying to figure out the best course of action. Yeah. It's really funny because mental health practitioners like myself <laughs> always think it's a mental health issue. Right. right? I tried not to, yeah. but like that's what I'm most tuned into. So that's of what course. I see. And it's what you're trained in. Exactly. And the same with like, you know, the medical doctor, um, with the psychiatrist, same with the nutritionist, same with, you know, yeah, or like, a chaplain. or a chaplain, like we all kind of have a different perspective and be, based on kind of what our orientation is, like we can, we can come become kind of myopic, right? We can become kind of like get this tunnel vision. Yeah. And so I think that that's one thing that I want us to be conscious of when we're talking about this too. And just in general in life <laughs> yeah. that, you know, there's so much we don't know. Yeah. And I'm not like, um, like I've said before in the podcast, like I'm kind of like agnostic Yeah. Um, but I also just recognize that there's so much we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. We don't know what's going on. We, you know, there's so much we know and there's so much we have no idea about. Like, (laughs) we don't even really know what's going on in the ocean, you know, (laughs) like how, Oh, we're we're going to talk about deep sea stuff. No, I'm just saying like, there's so much, right? No, absolutely. I mean, so much about the body, about the brain. I'm being sarcastic about the deep sea stuff. Like we really don't know enough right, right? And, like, <laughs> and i think also the again the point of a lot of what we're talking about is isn't just to be like oh it's one or the other i, I think we want right. to get away from that binary of whether it's this or that exactly right? it's it and i'm not I'm not even saying it's a combination or whatever but like i think it's the perfect example is you said you know there's um there's psychologists that you'd work with, right? Or do we, um, there's, um, there's the doctors, mm-hmm. um, the chaplains or whatever it is. Um, everybody has something to contribute. And rather than just being like, well, my psychologist or my therapist is the only one that has the, all the answers for me in my specific situation mm-hmm. could not, might not be the right way all the time, but just listening to your religious leaders always also may not always benefit you. Exactly. Right. right. And so we, I think as human beings and to be healthy in our own minds and stuff like that, our, our hearts and our lives, you know, it, it's good to have different perspectives. Absolutely. Yeah. And to know that if we ever watch a cursed video, that we should... Uh, Stop watching halfway. Well, we should... <laughs> well, I don't, know. I don't know if that would help. Would you only get like half killed? Yeah. Watch half of it? But I'd rather be half dead than full dead, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, a good point. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about, kind of like on this vein, was uh, Saba, the girl, yeah. um, that is just like what everybody pictures when you picture the ring, right? Right. So. The girl, I loved the backstory because I feel like the American version, which was the only one I had seen before, mm-hmm. had like very little kind of description of okay. like what her story was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I thought that this was like much more well-rounded and much more interesting. So her mother had um, telekinesis right. or no, you know, not telekinesis, uh, telepathy, telepathy, telekinesis is when you move stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So she had telepathy. 
And she was kind of, ex- she was exploited by this doctor who was also, I guess, having an affair with her. Um, oh. And fathered Sap. Oh. They just, like, mentioned that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That makes sense now, but yeah. continue. So Dr. Ikawa? Ikawa? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this doctor, it there's questions on how human he is there at the end. Right. They're not quite sure. Right. But they know that Saba's mom had, you know, these incredible tele- telepathic powers um, and that they weren't received very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when... Dr. Akawa tried to put her on display and, like, prove that ESP was a thing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't received very well. Mm-hmm. But her daughter, it turns out, is, like, much more powerful than her. Mm-hmm. And is able to just stop people's hearts, right? Which yeah. is what ultimately comes up. Um, what I thought was fascinating was the Dr. Akawa kind of character and um, Saba... And her mom. So her mom throws herself into the volcano mm-hmm. for, we can only, we have no idea why, mm-hmm. but she predicts the eruption of the volcano. Right. And then she throws herself into the volcano. Mm-hmm. And then Dr. Akawa, I guess, has, um, has custody of Saba or just takes Saba. Yeah. And ultimately kills her or tries to kill her. Uh-huh. By hitting her over the head and throwing her into the well. I thought the person that kills Saba was the guy that thought he was her father. It's Dr. Akawa. Oh. That's the doctor. I see. Mm-hmm. Did he? That's the doc. So my what I thought was really uh, intense about that whole story mm-hmm. was Saba's power, mm-hmm. right? That there's this little girl... That is somehow has like this mighty, mighty power that like puts everybody on their knees. And then even when he, he kills her, he throws her into, or he tries to kill her and throws her into the well. She doesn't die. Yeah. She tries to climb out. Yeah. Even after she dies, her power kind of lives on in these videos. Right. right? So she's not, he's not able to stop that power. Yeah. She is still somehow, some part of her. Right. Is like enduring through that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and especially like haunting stories or like curse stories, I love, um, because there's something very real about it. There's something real about like feeling like places are haunted. Right. Right. Feeling like, you know, something happened here and there's like this energy there or Mm -hmm. like you can feel it. I, I know like I've, I've, um, I have had like the excruciating privilege of, um, paying my respects at like mass grave sites, um, in places in the, throughout the world. Yeah. Um, I was a really big, like, uh, I wanted to be a human rights attorney <laughs> before I, uh, went to grad school for therapy. So I was in a lot of these areas where like these terrible things had happened and, and there was something that I think you could feel about it and yeah. whether or not that's just like because you know what happened and you're like projecting these feelings that you have about what happened onto like the space or onto yeah. the experience that's mm-hmm. one thing um or if there's some kind of like tremor of pain right yeah if it's just like in our collective consciousness somehow yeah, like yeah, yeah. we know that this happened here and that's awful it's yeah. excruciating yeah, it's yeah, excruciating yeah. to like know that that kind of pain can exist right 
in the world. And so I think like these stories of like hauntings or curses, it's and they talked about it in the movie of this these kind of stories come up when somebody dies in a horrible way. Right. And that we can't explain sort of like, it. Like yeah, inexplicable. Yeah, and we need something. Yeah. Like it makes no sense. Like yeah. we're just trying to figure out like what in the hell is mm. going on in this world. Yeah. And oftentimes like having stories about like and I'm not even saying, you know, like we've well addressed. I'm not saying that spirits don't exist. I actually I grew up in an area where like <laughs> where yeah. um not just like in my fundamentalist Christian background, but also in like Lakota culture. Like spirits are like very believed yeah. it's like um kind of recognized as fact in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it you know, you could take it on different levels too, right? Whether you just have reverence for the dead yeah. and the way that you speak about them and like those sort of things, you know. And it's sort of like counter reference, um the the house I live in um, was uh, was sold by the family of a lady that used to live here. It was, it was an older couple, but I think that the lady was widowed um, when she did pass, and um, she was uh, she had a massive green thumb. Um, was great with plants. There's a gorgeous oak tree in my front yard. Uh, a tw- a gorgeous twin redwoods in the back. Um, she was an award-winning rose garden, like rose gardener, and uh, when I moved in, my plants thrive here. <laughs> and I'm not going to take any credit for that. I, I, I water mm-hmm. them on an irregular schedule. <laughs> um, it's intuitive. I just kind of feel it. But there's a part of me whenever I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I think it's the, the sp- woman who lived yeah, here. The yeah, the spirit of Susan, whoever. You know, is is just taking care of the stuff for me. Yeah. You know, and I think like like that whether it's true or not. Too, yeah. You know? But I like the story. Yeah. You know, and and I think that's like part of what's been. Well, it's part of what's being human, right? Throughout history, you know, it, we watched a Japanese movie about spirits or something. Yeah. Supernatural, right? And and that's so human. That we, we have these ideas or the 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 remnant of somebody that was here or something like that, right? Because really who suffers the most when somebody dies, it's the people that are left behind. Right. I mean, unless you, yeah, I mean, of course, some people die horrific deaths and that obviously. But then it's to, over. Yeah, but then it's over. But the people that are left behind are one left with the memory of how they died and then the fact that they're dead. Right. You know? And so how do we cope with that? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big question. And I think like this movie brings up a lot of questions about mortality. Yeah. It doesn't answer a lot of questions either. It doesn't. It just asks them. And I think it, it also like, there's this feverishness to the seven days, right? Yeah. Oh, we can't die. We have to like, we're out trying to outrun death. We're trying to figure this out before Mm -hmm. our time has expired. And I think, you know, there's a big part of that, that, it's just like reflective of being a human in a mortal world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we're like, oh, how are we going to spend this last time? Are we going to outrun death, or what are we trying to do? Right. You know. Um. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I also I kind of like the dynamic between the um, the main ex-husband. character and the her husband, yeah. her ex husband. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have a very kind of like intimate relationship, but like also like very intimate and distant at the same time. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, um, 
I was asking all these questions of like, I wonder why he's so out of his son's life. Yeah. Like, I wonder why he's not there. Um, and it seems like maybe it's because of his gift, like maybe because of his ESP or something. Yeah. Um, cause he still has pictures of them over his house. Right. And, yeah. Um, clearly cares about them. You know, my interpretation, I don't want to speak too much because it's not something that I know very well. Um, but I have lived in Japan for a little bit. Um, and I, I will, I will say that I think part of it is a bit cultural. Um, but yeah, I think if you look at it from a Western lens, there is a strained relationship. Yeah. You know, because the guy that... He didn't so, know how old he was. Yeah, the main lady is Asakawa. Right. And then her ex-husband is Ryuji. And um, there's this really interesting scene where Ryuji is going to the, the Asakawa's flat. And just as their son is leaving, it's raining... And they both have umbrellas, and so they're, they're, their faces are kind of covered. And they kind of bump into each other on, on the, the street, street in the yeah. rain. And the, the kid looks up at him, and they look at each other for a second, and they don't say anything, and they walk past each other. Mm-hmm. You know. And again, I don't want to be like, oh, that's Japanese people. Cause that's not. But like, there definitely is an awkwardness in whatever yeah. that relationship is. Yeah, for uh, sure. And... Um, and they, 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 do, they do seem to have a good working relationship, right? Yeah. Um, maybe there's some history there, but, um, um, it's not how typical divorced couples are t- portrayed in the Western world. Absolutely. They never play out any interpersonal, like, dramas. You know, yeah. it's never like, this is why we had to get a divorce. I loved that. <laughs> I really loved that. Yeah. I loved that it refreshing. wasn't, yeah, yeah, that it was just like, no, we still, we, we still really care about each other, obviously. Yeah. And like, like, we've got each other's back. Even the direction of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we don't, we, we're not going to dive into what their interpersonal drama is. Yeah. We're just going to like play it out, you know. And I kind of love that he didn't hesitate to watch it. Yeah. Like, he was just like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, and that yeah. she was, or that he was who she called. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, because she, she did call him, and then he just jumped in, and they did it, you know, because, like, I think, again, on some level, I think they were just like, well, we mean something to each other. Yeah. It might not be we're the same family. now. Right. But, like, we're, I'm going get to your, get your back on this, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was cool. That's really cool. I like their relationship a lot. Yeah. I think, um... Also, there weren't that many deaths. I mean, there were, but, like, not really on-screen deaths. I yeah. yeah. So, I guess the first four were... Um, These same, high school kids. High school kids, right. That had gone on a trip down to the Izu Peninsula. I'm not actually too familiar with it, where that is. Um, but they were on holiday. Yeah, and they watched this video then. Um, and one of them, Tomoku, is um, the main character's... Niece. Niece, yeah. Yeah, and she is also, at the same time, before her niece dies, she's actually doing a story on, like, the myth of the video. Yeah, but almost as, like, a... Like a... Like a... High school, kind of, like, Yeah, urban legend type of, like, thing. Totally. You know? Um, And then she investigates, and then that's how she gets into this whole business. And finds out that Tomoko watched the video. And so, four children die about... Uh, like their heart stop on the same day. Yeah, well, that's the medical explanation. Yeah. Right, right. Um, and then Ryuji dies at the end. Yeah, is anybody dying between? No. 
Yeah. I mean, do they talk about, you know, um, the Saba? history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, but not many deaths. Right. So, yeah, Ruiju? Ruijo. Ryuji. Okay. I'm, I'm lost. Ryuji. Yeah. Not that hard. Um, so Ryuji, I felt really, <laughs> I felt awful for him because he, he was like in that well. Yeah, he You know, he just straight. dived right in. Yeah. He just was like all up in there. And then like, what sucks the most is that feeling of like, oh, we lifted the curse. Just kidding. We didn't. You're going to die. I know. And if you had only known that you didn't lift the curse, you could have like, Maybe figured done it something out? about it, you yeah. know, or like it wasn't like it was just something like offhand that that Asakawa did, and right? Then, like she just—it wasn't them finding the dead body in the well that lifted the curse. It yeah. was actually there was no the curse isn't lifted. No, it, the, it's, it's actually you just continuing. have to perpetuate it, right? Know? So then that leads to the question too: like, what would lift the curse? Basically, until every human has seen the video and one person has to die at the end. Trolley problem. Trolley problem. Exactly. And then trolley problem, which I think most people know, is you have to choose between killing one people, one person and saving many. Well, you're on a train track. Yeah, 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 you're on a train track and there's five people that are tied to the train tracks. But your choice is that if you redirect the train, you kill one person to save those five people from the original track that you were on. And then is that that too much? No, that's great. And it's like a basic like utilitarian argument. So it's it's, we're trying to decide like what is the moral thing in that situation? Right. Because in that situation and I think a lot of things that what like humans struggle with that came out in the movie too with having to make a copy in order to save yourself. Right. Right. Um, One of the things that comes out a lot is just this idea of like what is moral when we have control over death. Right. Right. Like Mm -hmm. if you know 100% your train is going to hit somebody. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, then you have that horrifying decision to make. And right. and I think in, in the ring, it's almost like that, too. It's like, do you want to die? Or do you want to copy this video that might make many other people die? Right. And, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated question. And ultimately, like, when humans have control over mortality... When we have, like, when we can flex, like, a little bit of control that we have over it. Power. Shit gets real. Yeah. Power. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Power and fear, man. Which I think sometimes are, you know, very closely related. Best friends. Yeah. Um, Welcome to 2020. Exactly. And this... When I teach anger management, like, I I talk about this a lot because... Oh, you teach anger management? I I used to, I guess. I haven't for, like, a couple months now. Oh, I need to take a class on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, the here's the, the the Cliff Notes version. When we're angry, we're most often afraid. And that our anger response is fundamentally connected to our survival response. Because anger tells us to to get big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to fight. It's like when the kid uh, does the uh, hair thing. And she's yeah. Like, I'm big. Right, right, Exactly. Or, or when the dogs, right? Like when their when their hair stands on end, mm-hmm. they're trying to look big. Or a puffer fish, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like we all try to get big and we try to fight. And typically, like when omnivores who are predators in nature, mm-hmm. you know, feel threatened, 
they're willing to fight for themselves or for their pack or for, you know, whatever. And so I think a lot of times our survival instinct is really tied to fear. Um, this fear that we're not going to make it or this fear that like our loved ones aren't going to make it Mm -hmm. or that somehow we're less than others, Mm -hmm. which in a social environment, because we're social animals, that gets confusing, right? Right. Especially when it's not, doesn't necessarily come down to life and death. Yeah. And that's like the interesting part is because somehow our bodies like interpret it in a specific way, right? Like our bodies are like, Oh, if I fall out of social, like uh, if my, if my social status falls, right? Like I get, nervous i get mortified i get i get shaky i get depressed or i get i have a reaction or when somebody like insults me in public like my hands get sweaty my heart gets beating and Mm -hmm. i get like angry my face flushes and i get hot right and those like physical responses are really tied to survival and they're there's some old ass responses there are responses that we would have when we were trying to outrun a lion right would you say that it's because we haven't evolved out of that or is it just part of our i mean obviously it's part of our dna I think it's been perpetually, like, reinforced, honestly. Like, I think, I think as humans, we've tried to kind of move away from this, like, very abrupt hierarchical structure Mm -hmm. of social, like, norms, but we haven't gotten that far, honestly. And so we know that if, if we, um, for example, like, if you get DOSed, right? Or if you get, if somebody like destroys your reputation on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like that clearly will have an impact on your life. Could it have an impact on where you can get an apartment? You know? Like could. Have an impact on your job. On your job, on your relationships, right? We talking about cancel culture now? I'm just kidding. Uh-oh. Here we go. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> no, you know. But that's, so I think like in a lot of ways, like our social environment still reinforces those, those life or death responses. Yeah, yeah. We, we make some connections to what the like result or the impact will mm-hmm. be to us. If ever you have gotten nervous and gotten hot, the function of that is your body's trying to warm up your muscles so that you can fight or flee. Mm-hmm. So your body's just like doing all this work <laughs> to like increase your body temperature. Right? So yeah. you start sweating. So, so your muscles are like limber and ready to go. First date. Phenomenal. Right? first date <laughs> honestly well it's kind of what i was talking about it's in, uh, mortality, yeah. was it the hereditary one or i forgot which one but one of the recent ones that we did um no it was the fucking movie we watched last night texas chainsaw Master. yeah um but like you know again as i've mentioned multiple times on this podcast i've taken one psychology course and one of the things i remember is you your body has a similar response to when you see a bear out in the wild and how you are reacting to your first date with Absolutely. a lovely lady. Absolutely. Potentially in Palo Alto. Oh. A nice Mexican restaurant. Uh, potentially. Uh, and, um, yeah. I think, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, because there, there's a lot of, like, Venn diagram overlapping type of, like, symptoms. Yeah. symptoms or like the ways that your body shows it but it's yeah, really sure. how we've been socially programmed to interpret what those are and how we then respond yeah yes absolutely and we can do a lot to change kind of like what our body how our body responds like there's a lot of things we can do therapy is a great start just really trying to like connect yourself to your body highly recommend therapy highly recommend 
especially for therapists. Any therapists listening? Oh, yeah. Go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> especially your therapist. Uh, but uh, what was I saying? Body response. Oh, yeah. Body response. This is this is big. Like being able to tie into your body, doing mindfulness exercises, meditation is actually like really helpful if you can do it, um, to help you kind of like, um, have less of a fight or flight response. It actually changes the biology of your brain. I've had a therapist recommend that I not quit smoking because, you know, it was a way to regulate my breathing and a smoke break could like, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not, okay. I disagree with that therapist, but I'm not, but that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not recommending smoking and whatever, you know, and I'm, you know, quit smoking if you can. But, you know, there is an aspect of regulating your breathing. Breath regulation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, like get a vape. Get a vape. No, the uh the people that smoke too, like one of the biggest like rewards that you get is just breathing in. Like taking a big breath, right? Yeah. Um and there's a lot of things that we can do to try to like help that. I'm a big advocate of yoga too. Yoga is kind of like a, it's a gateway drug to meditation, I think, because you can get started and you're moving and you're being aware of yourself, but it's not as anxiety provoking. It's just sitting in silence, right? Also a gateway drug to working out. I know. God forbid. (laughs) Uh, So it can be, it can be really helpful in that way, but there's, there's lots of different ways that people can do it. But um, all of this to say that we're not stuck with these reactions that mm-hmm. we have, these panicky reactions. However, they are normal. There's nothing wrong with them. Right. But we still have the ability. We still have the ability to um, make things better for ourselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure out how you can respond. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Even if it's hard. Um. But ultimately, deep breathing did not save. Um. The folks in Ringu. No. Um, or in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or in TCM. Or in Midsummer. You know? Or in Hereditary. There's this great meme that's, um, it's like the Titanic sinking. And you know that great scene from Titanic where everybody's playing violins? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it says, uh, you know, this is 2020 and this is therapists teaching mindfulness on <laughs> Right? Because because so much of it is like, oh, let's change your perspective on your suffering, right? Yeah, when in reality, yeah, it's yeah. like, well, yeah, but like, if you change my suffering, that would actually go a lot better, right? So like, that's also very real, but... Um, okay, yeah. well, who are you in this movie? Ooh. Hmm. There's and not a Saba. lot of... I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, there's not a lot... Yeah, there's not a lot of, like, very... A lot, a lot of characters where you get a feel for their personality, or they're, like... Not a lot of character development. It was really just the two, Asakawa and Ryuji. I think I'd be Asakawa. Because I think I would be... She had a couple, like, panic moments. And yeah. I was like, girl, I feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she had a... Ultimately, making the decision to, like, copy tapes to save her kid, I'd be like, I'd probably do that. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like it. Morally, it's probably not, it's not the right choice. We'll work on that. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, sure. Like, who can I show this video to? Yeah. My kid's on the line. But, um, yeah, I, I identified with her and trying to, like, trying to do so many things at once and somehow yeah. doing all of them like kind of half-assed you know how about you 
I think I think I'd go with Ryuji just because like he played it pretty straight, you know? He did. He was just like, he showed up. He was very direct. Yeah. Um, kind of was just like a bit goal-oriented. Goal and I feel like in those situations, I can definitely step up like that um, and get burnt. I mean, he, I don't think he got burnt, but... He got to get burnt! True, but... By yeah. Saba, but... Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'd say, I'd say him. Mm-hmm. Um, highly recommend the movie though. Yeah, it's very, it's yeah, very interesting. It's worth watching. Movie. It's worth, uh, it's well shot and like they do a lot of the scary elements well. Yeah. Um, it, it does feel a bit dated because it's from the '90s and it does feel like a movie from Japan in the '90s. Um, not that that is anything against the movie, but um, yeah, I got real nostalgic about it just because I've lived in Japan for a little bit and it was cool. Um, yeah. You were there for a couple of years, right? Year and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, I think we might have a couple more for this spooky, spooky season. Spooky season. Um, I'm not going to use the word disappointed, but I have been a little under scared. Honestly, I've been disappointed. I want to get scared. Yeah. I want to get scared. If anybody's listening to this and has suggestions on how to scare us, Before please. October ends, yeah. Oh, yes. well, actually, fuck it. I would extend it to the rest of the year. Right. I, I think uh, we yeah. want to go hard in October, but it's the Matron Saint of Nightmares podcast. And, give us some uh, nightmares, you know? Yeah, give us some nightmares. Um, let's say <laughs> that we don't win until I have a sleepless night. Oh, I love this. Okay. Just one. Just Maybe one. not con- consecutive sleepless nights, no. but, you just know. Like, just like one. Just throwing the challenge out there. So, um, with that, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams, everybody.